0: course again uh, for the sermon is Unwrapping Peace as we continue the Unwrapping theme. And uh, most of you know my style of preaching by now because you've been here um, and you're probably starting to figure out because now we're getting to my third Christmas here. I I get a little more poetic perhaps, a little more touchy-feely at Christmas time. I've always loved Christmas and so uh, you're still going to get a solid message from God's Word but you're going to also, get a little bit of a story this morning too, to, that some of you might know already, and and that was uh, this is a story about a song we sing at Christmas time. On Christmas Day, nineteen sixty or eighteen sixty three, rather, sorry, Christmas Day, eighteen sixty three, uh, a beautiful poem was written by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow a poem that would be set to music nine years later and become a very beloved Christmas song. And it was entitled, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. And like many of our most loved songs, it has a story behind it. The poem was written during the Civil War, a time when things looked bleak indeed in the world, and particular in the United States. And it was bleaker still for Longfellow because two years earlier, his wife Fanny had died from burns after her dress caught on fire. And Henry himself had tried to put out the flames. And he, in the process, was burned so badly he couldn't even attend her own funeral. And his face was burned badly, so he never shaved after that. And you've seen his picture probably in your. Elementary school textbooks with a nice thick beard, and that's the reason he wore the beard. So that was pretty bad. That's a pretty awful thing for anyone to have happen. And then tragedy struck again for Longfellow as his son Charlie was badly injured in the war and nearly paralyzed. And the telegram he got said he was paralyzed, but he didn't know that that they had uh, maybe overestimated the seriousness of his son's injuries. So on Christmas Day... In the midst of this very bleak period of time in his life, Longfellow wrote this now famous poem, and you know it as the song, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. Now when you hear it sung today, you never hear the parts about the war because we're not in the Civil War anymore, but I want to read the poem in full as he wrote it at the time to set the stage for unwrapping the peace of God that we all so desperately need. So let me read this to you. And we'll have it on the screen as well. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and mild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men, and thought how as the day had come the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then from each black accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south, and with the sound the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. We can feel the anguish of Longfellow in this poem, in which listening is a theme throughout. Longfellow is listening to the bells that on Christmas Day play carols that are familiar and sweet and focus on peace on earth. And here on Christmas Day, he's contemplating how these bells keep rolling out their song undaunted by the chaos of the world around them. The bells seem to be drowned out, though, by the terrors of war. A country is at war with itself. And there's hate such that Longfellow bows his head and says, there's no peace on earth. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Yet as though to correct him in his thinking, the bells ring louder and deeper. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. And as beautiful as the poem is and the song it became, in it is something not quite complete. You see, there are a number of places in Scripture that speak Of peace that will come. Several of them are commonly recited at Christmas time, and Longfellow is referring to some of those because that's a common theme in a lot of the Christmas carols and hymns that we sing. Now, I want to share a few of those verses, not only the Christmas time ones that we hear, but some other verses from Scripture about God's peace that He's promising through His prophets. Luke 2 13 and 14 says, Suddenly there was an, with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Psalm 85.10 says, Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, you know this one from Every Christmas, if you've been in church before, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there shall be no end, and on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Haggai 2.9 says, The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts, and in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Acts 10.36, As for the word he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Ephesians 2.14, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. There, Paul is talking about Gentile and Greek and how then in Christ they can worship as one. And Jesus is the one to bring peace and reconciliation. Paul writes in Colossians 1.19 and 20, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace. How? By the blood of his cross. So what is Longfellow missing in his poem? First of all, I want to say I love the poem and the song. I'm in no way diminishing its power. I find it moving. I'm very touched by it. However, if a person does not first understand the paramount aspect of the peace we need, the full power of the poem and those verses I just read will be lost to that person. And the reason is that while Longfellow rightly pointed out a lack of peace on earth in his time, especially in the light of the war, that lack of peace is but a symptom of the real problem people have. The real problem is also a lack of peace, but not with other people. The problem is a lack of peace with God. It began in the Garden of Eden. We talked about this last week, where our first parents and the representatives of the whole human race, Adam and Eve, sinned. And that means they missed the mark. They violated the law of God. This angered God, and through that sin, death came into the world. Romans 5.12, Paul says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. So death came into the world through that first sin. And every human being since has had to face the fact and reality of death. Not only did death come, but a lack of peace or loss of peace with God. God and man had a perfect relationship before that, and that was destroyed when the first man sinned. And to this, some people have said, well, not fair. How, how should the whole race of humans suffer because of the sins of one man? And the answer comes in the form of representation or headship. Adam perfectly represented the human race, and as our representative, he did what the rest of the race would have done which is to sin. And even if you have a problem with inheriting sin from Adam, you still could not get away from the problem of your own sins because every one of us has violated God's law. As Paul writes in Romans chapter 3, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one, No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace... They have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. And not only have all sinned, but there's a wages for sin. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, if you were here last week, you heard me say this too. But wages are what we are paid for the work or deeds that we do. And if you're a good worker, your wages are usually higher. Unfortunately, we are all skilled in sinning, so our wages are coming for us. Unless we have some way to atone or to cover or to pay for our sins, we are in deep trouble. And that is because no deeds we can do can somehow offset the evil deeds, our sins against a holy God. But there's good news. Romans 5, eight, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For those who understand that Jesus died for sinners and put faith in him as their only rescue from the wrath of God, that wrath that is being stored up against all the unrighteous, for all who declare him king and lord and believe he was raised from the death, Jesus' death on the cross pays the price for those sins for all who believe. And when Jesus was raised from the dead, that was proof that God accepted his death as payment for the sins of those who are saved. And it's very simple, but yet very difficult. It's simple in a way because Paul writes in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that seems simple to most people. But the transaction is certainly unequal, isn't it? Jesus perfect and sinless. He died. He took on the sins of the world. That's what he got on his exchange. And in return, he gives us his own righteousness to those who believe. If that seems too good to be true, it isn't. God promises it in his true word. He promised it in the old covenant and he fulfilled it in Christ, who is the Messiah of Israel foretold to the people. If you are concerned about your sins and your alienation from God, you should be. And the only remedy for you is to call on him. Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And by doing this, you can have peace with God. Romans 5, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. For if we were, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. What is reconciliation? Peace. You see, Longfellow was not wrong to want peace in his life. To want to be at peace while with losing his wife. To be at peace when his son was injured. When the nation was at war with itself. But these examples of not being at peace are only symptoms of the real problem. The real problem is that mankind needs to be at peace with God. You cannot be at peace with other people while you are at enmity with God. People will always be at war with each other until they come to terms terms of peace have to be achieved, terms that both sides agree to. Usually, coming to peace is contingent on the most powerful one laying down the terms of peace. And if you submit to these terms, you can have peace. After World War II, Japan came to the table wanting peace. They were weak, And they needed to do something very important before peace would be granted. Do any of you remember what it is that Japan had to do to get peace? Surrender. Complete surrender. When you are weakened and you want peace and the one you are enemies with demands surrender, you either surrender or die or stay at war until you cease to exist. And mankind, in its sin, is at war with God. How do we come to peace with God? Complete surrender. You have to give up your war against him. You have to submit entirely to his terms of peace. And he has only given one way to be at peace. And that is through the cross of Jesus Christ. Humans have always known that there's an unrest, a lack of peace amongst ourselves and with God himself. It isn't that our sin just disappoints him, it shows our hatred towards him. What does it take to get to the point of complete surrender? We must be humiliated so moved into a place of brokenness and shame over our sins that we have nowhere to go except to Christ alone through faith alone. Without the intervention of God and his spirit and his calling us through the word of God, we will never get to that point. Japan had to come to that table and sign the surrender documents to have their peace. And it was utterly humiliating for them to do so. And yet, when they came to that place of humiliation, peace came immediately. They went from enemy to eventually friends. It was no easy path to get there. But now in Japan, our nation enjoys a mutually beneficial relationship. Trade and diplomacy are well between nations who were once fierce enemies. And this can happen between you and God. He will come to terms of peace with you. It can only happen though if you humble yourself and come in complete surrender to Jesus. James writes this in chapter 4, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you is this is it not this that your passions are at war within you? sermon I ever preached in a real church was from this passage. Uh, my, one of my preaching professors, we had an assignment. We had to find a church that would let us preach. Well, he, he preached at this little church where there was about a dozen people, average age 85, and I told them how they were at enmity with God and their sin. So, But the truth is there that unless we're in Christ, we are at war with God. There's only one way to make peace with God. That is through Jesus Christ. He is the promised Messiah of Israel. And God in his graciousness extends the salvation to all who submit to him. Yet there is no other way to make peace with God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you would have peace with God, then you must surrender. There was peace Peace that was prophesied by Isaiah 9. I know I read this already. I'm going to read it again. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Peace, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the good news of the Bible. This is what unwrapping the peace of Christmas is all about. And this is the peace that was announced to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them. What was the saying? This is your source of peace. They made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the peace that Paul writes about in Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the peace that for the one who believes cannot be taken away Romans eight thirty eight and 39, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angel nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that is the peace that Longfellow attempted to convey in his great poem. A peace that, like bells ringing in the crisp air of a Christmas day, though the darkness of the world around us may attempt us to drown out that message, the bells ring, they peal more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill toward men." And I hope you never hear that, message, that song again without thinking of this. The message has been preached. Has it been heard by your ears? If it has been heard, has it been received? Do not delay in responding to this good news today. That you can have peace with God through Jesus. There was once a passionate preacher named George Whitfield whose preaching, some say, was used by God to bring perhaps 10% of the entire population of the colonies of the U.S. in those early days, coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And one of the things that Whitfield did was he prayed for the salvation of people. He preached the word of God without compromise, and he pleaded with people to come to Jesus. I plead with him. I beg you to come to Jesus. Whitfield invited people, quote, Come, all of you, come. And behold him stretched out for you. See his hand and feet nailed to the cross. Oh, come, come, my friends, and nail your sins to it. Come, come and see his side pierced. There is a fountain open for sin and for uncleanness. Oh, wash, wash and be clean. Come and see his head crowned with thorns, all for you. Can you think of a panting, bleeding, dying Jesus and not be filled with pity toward him? He underwent all of this for you. Come to him by faith. Lay hold on him. There is mercy for every soul of you who would come to him. Then do not delay. Fly unto the arms of this Jesus and you shall be made clean in his blood. Come then unto Christ everyone who hears me. And he continued, I offer Jesus Christ pardon and salvation to all you who will accept it. Come, O you drunkards, lay aside your cups. Come and drink of the water which Christ will give you, and then you will thirst no more. Come, O you thieves, let him that has stolen steal no more, but fly unto Christ and he will receive you. Come unto him, O you harlots, Lay aside your lusts and turn unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon you. He will cleanse you of all your sins and wash you in his blood. Come, all you liars. Come, all you Pharisees. Come, all you fornicators, adulterers, swearers, and blasphemers. Come to Christ, and he will take away all your filth. He will cleanse you from your pollution, and your sins will be done away. Come, come, my guilty brethren. I beseech you in for Christ's sake and for your immortal soul's sake to come unto Christ. And I could have read a lot more. He preached like that every time he preached. George Whitfield I've got a book on him if you want to read it. So, what do you think of when you hear the phrase peace on earth? The end of war, peace with friends, neighbors, or family, no more arguments. Your greatest need is peace with God. The reason it was good news when Isaiah prophesied peace was man could, would be restored to God. The reason it was good news when the angel told the shepherds to fear not was that people could be restored with God, and that is what Christmas is all about. And so with George Whitfield, I plead with you. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Make peace with God. Total surrender, total humiliation for you because you have to lay yourself down before God and say, I'm not worthy of any of this. I plead for mercy and I plead for peace. And I do so on the blood of Jesus Christ according to the promises of Scripture. And if you do that, as Scripture tells us, if you will confess with your mouth, that Jesus Christ is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if there's anyone here who hasn't done that, I'm going to pray that God's Holy Spirit will make you tremble and quake and be so uncomfortable that you can do nothing but run to God and run to the arms of Jesus Christ for salvation. Why would I want you uncomfortable? Why would I want you in fear of God? Why would I want you to be worried about your eternal destination? Because I love you and care about you. Because I want you to go to heaven. I don't want you to burn in all of eternity in hell. It's unconscious torment for all of eternity. I don't want that for you. So I pray that God's Holy Spirit will make you so uncomfortable you can do nothing but run to Christ. And if that's you then you have business to do with God. You need to go to him, and you need to say, Lord, I surrender. And I'm happy to talk to anyone here. We have other men and women in the church that would be happy to talk to you as well. So if you need help to understand better, please come and find me or find someone in this church, and we will help you. We'll, We'll try to explain it the best we can. But in the end, the only way that anyone comes to this faith is that God's Holy Spirit draws them to himself. That's what scripture tells us. Jesus himself said, no one comes to the Father unless he draws them. And so I'm going to close with that prayer that you would have the fear of God, that you would say, I'm in serious trouble. If I don't do some course correction, I'm in trouble. But it's more than just a course correction that you can do. The only way To be made right with God is through Jesus Christ who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's pray, Lord. Lord, you know my heart, and you know my prayer has been that on this morning you would bring people here to hear this gospel message so that your Holy Spirit may do the work that I can't do. Lord, we've, we've given the message. We've done our part. We pray, Lord, now that your Spirit would convict people mightily of their sins and convince them of this gospel truth and humble them to the point where they can only say, I surrender. Because when that happens, Lord then we have peace with God. And you give peace that passes all understanding, Lord. So I pray if there's anyone here, Lord, that hasn't done that, that you would be doing a a work in their heart to draw them to yourself and to make them believe in this word that's been preached. May they seek you, Lord, because you say that no one who seeks you will not find you if they seek you with all their heart. May it be done in the souls of these people, Lord. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen.